Jesus shows up to his disciples here in John chapter 20 and speaks four things to them, shares with them four things that empowers them, four things that should empower you and I here today as well. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. We're continuing with our series, Life Forever in Christ. Look at John chapters 20 and 21. We catch up with our teacher and pastor here in chapter 20 as we look at these four great things that our risen Savior shares with us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. When you're broke, money stays in your mind a lot. I said, when you're broke, you know, you got so much, you just say, yeah, I got more money than I've ever had. I got the kids raised. Hallelujah. <laughs> but we got 12 grandchildren, and they know how to tap the resources. <laughs> Let me tell you. And, and you think, oh, college tuition's over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm suffering from maltuition, uh, pay, paying for education. I got three kids in school now. And you get them raised, and you think, whoo, we can hold on to some of this money. I worried the most about money when I had the least. Well, these preachers I ran with, they were always thinking, because they were broke. They were in small little churches. Churches run less than 100. And they're always talking about money. And as a young preacher, I would see them, and uh, this is weird. And you can talk to my wife, who said I was weird. I asked God to keep me semi-broke so I wouldn't fall in love with money. And that's when I was young. I'm kind of saying, Lord, I've revamped that a little. Bring it on while you can. But, but because I saw these men being distracted by the money thing. And, and now I look back, they were broke. They were good men. But they got into side missions. They started dabbling into this and dabbling in that and doing, just trying to make, they had no retirement plans. They, they, they were just barely making it. But it was often the thing they became known for. Oh, they've got property now. They've got this venture. They've got that venture. And it just, they lost the focus of their ministry. As the Father sent me, so I send you. I don't want what I went to the cross about to die. And the mission is tied up with you men. I will continue my mission through you. If you'll obey me like I obeyed the Father. The great shame of the evangelical church is we've quit going to the world. Most of us. Let me tell you how it goes if you're a Christian. How I grew up. You get saved. And uh, then we got to get you sanctified, got to get you holy. You can't run with anybody you ran with, you know. Got to get away from those dirty sinners that God saved you among. And for those first months, when you go to them, you're so obnoxious, you don't know how to witness. You just kind of uh, turn or burn, you know. And, hey, buddy, you, you need Jesus now. You're going to accept him? No. Well, I'm going to be around. Okay, thank. and we did that. I know guys that did that to their parents. They just say, Dad, you need to get saved. The Hirschman boys, Gregor, man, they were so tough on their dad. They say, you need, you need to get saved. Well I, well, I don't want to get saved. Well, uh, you know, Dad, you're going to hell. Well, thank you, son. I appreciate knowing that. Uh, by the way, Dad, could I borrow a thousand? <laughs> could I borrow a thousand? Yeah, I still need money. 
but you're going to hell. Could you break it a little easier? See, we don't know how to witness when we first get saved. We just, boom, there we are. And then guess what? Then you really get sanctified, and in about a year, you don't have any unsaved friends, because now you're holy. I only go to church and prayer meetings, honey. Who do you witness to? Witness? I've got my wife saved five times. <laughs> you, you know? Come on. I, I only run with the saints, and I'm critical of them. Because they don't cut it straight enough. Or you are. Well, you need to get around some hellions. You need to get around some people going purity to hell and quit being so critical. Quit running around with the saints. Quit trying to straighten me out. Why don't you go to a man that's lost, that needs mercy, that needs gospel, that needs grace, that needs somebody who gives a damn whether they go to hell or not. What? You want me to do that? Me? I want to be in the choir, honey. I want to be a deacon. What did Jesus say? First thing Jesus said to his disciples. Listen to what he said. Follow me and I will make you reverends. Oh, oh fishers, fishers of men. Well, I thought I'd at least be a deacon. At least a bishop. By the way, how's fishing doing? Have you caught anybody lately? Say, no, you haven't been fishing. And you know what? People, they'll do this to me. They'll bring their unsaved friends here to church. And they say, Pastor, you better preach good today. <laughs> I better preach good. Yeah, I brought unsaved people with me today. Well, well have you thought about sharing the... Oh, no, 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 that's your job. Okay. And so I'm fishing in the aquarium. Said, man, you didn't catch any today, did you? You know, this was it. You preached on divorce today, or you preached on the finance campaign. When are you fishing? And that's why churches like us die. We'll reach a certain size, and we could be dying now. You plateau because you start living for yourself. We got enough programs in this church. You can die in the choir. Thank you, doing God's will. And I appreciate the choir. You know I do. You can die being a Sunday school teacher. You can die being a deacon in this church. Because you've got to say, am I on mission? Am I on mission? And let me tell you something that happens. Many times people in church work, uh, they lose the vision of God, but they keep doing the work for God. Uh, it's like this. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw God, a great God, a glorious God, a gracious God. And, and then I heard him say, who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. You remember that, don't you? Any great work for God must start with the vision of God. Guess what happens? Let's say I'm the founder of this church under Jesus. I'm one of his sublets after 2,000 years. So I said, I want to entrust you with a dance hall, see what I can do. And so we're over here. And 
we can get over here and be doing work for God while we've lost the vision of God. And the next generation, they keep doing our programs, keep singing in the choirs, be, be in the band, be doing something in the church. Do, do, you know, do you know God very well? What's he got to do with it? I like this. It's social outlet. I got lots of energy. I want to do something. I like to do a stream. I like to do this. I like to do. Wait, wait, wait. Have you ever got the vision of God? These men, he's saying, you see a risen Christ. You see a Christ that went to the cross. You have a Christ that did exactly what he said. You have a Christ that's been resurrected. I'm standing among you to bring you peace. Now I'm saying to you, my church, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you to the same people, the world. And I want you to take God to them. It may cost you. It cost me my life. But it was in the will of God. It was on mission. Some of you are dying without ever having been martyred. You're dying not doing the mission. It's a terrible thing you could still be breathing and have died inside. You have nothing to live for. Nothing to drive you. And he said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. If that brought Christ, why doesn't it move us? Are we on his mission or on our mission? So he said, as the Father sent me, I'm praying he'll send you. Third thing he promises them is divine enablement, the great enablement. He says, receive the Spirit. Now, most translations said he breathed on them or he breathed in them. It's not there in the Greek. He just simply breathed. Some think he inhaled some. And here's the picture. He just said, receive the Spirit. Now, here's the issue. Did they? Did they at this time receive the Spirit? And there's a lot of discussion on whether they did or not. I'm with those who take this as a symbolic act. He said in the Gospels, my hour has come. And he was talking about the, his death and resurrection. But there would be days and weeks before it ever happened. He, but he would just announce, the hour has come. But it didn't mean it happened right there where he said it. It would take a little time. The hour has come. And so he's saying, receive the Spirit. Now you read Luke. He says, go into Jerusalem and stay there until I send you the Spirit. They had to wait 40 days. But what he's saying in John is, I've gone. I've been raised. I'm glorified. <sighs> receive the Spirit. But they didn't receive it right then. One of the reasons, uh, you know that for sure, is it didn't change anybody in that room. When he came on the day of Pentecost, he changed them radically. Thomas is still doubting. The disciples are still uh, fearful. Uh, they, they all go back to fishing in chapter 21. They must not have received the Spirit. They, they've lost their mission. But symbolically he's saying, Based on my resurrection and who I am, re receive the Spirit, which I believe they did on the day of Pentecost. Receive the Spirit. What he's saying to them, you're going to need great help and great enablement to stay on target 
and to do the mission. And I'm not leaving you on your own. I promised you in John 14, 15, and 16, I'll send you another helper. I'll send you another comforter. And he's saying in that room, receive the Spirit. He's coming. And he did. Then he tells them finally, a great message I'm giving you. And I don't know if any of you know what this verse means. Look at the verse. You don't know what it means. I know you don't. Look. Look at it. I just dare you. And don't give the answer, uh, Kevin. I'll tell you to be quiet. Let's see. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What in the world did he just say? What does this mean? Well, you know there's two, two realms of interpretation. How does Rome take this to be? Roman Catholic. They believe he invested the church with the authority to forgive you your sins. That's basically. He's giving them, these apostles, I'm giving you authority to forgive sins on earth. And so, when you go and see the confessional booth, uh, when you go, I, I remember being in Mexico City, I went to their central cathedral there. People lined up all around that cathedral waiting to see. They had confessional booths all over the place. They may have had five or ten people in line because, uh, Father, uh, I've sinned. Father, uh, I've committed adultery. Father, I've done this. I'm seeking forgiveness. Your sins be forgiven. And they take it off this verse. Whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. So that's the Catholic view. The Pope can forgive. The priest can forgive. Now, here's something interesting. In the New Testament, who all becomes a priest? Mm, the first Pope said that. First Peter 2.9. He's made you a generation of priests. Every believer is a priest. Uh, I just see where the Pope is getting ready to saint a couple of popes. I got sainted in 1958. I got sainted. As soon as I became a believer in Christ, he makes us saints. Which means set apart ones. Ones belonging to God. So I've already been sainted. You too. It scares me that some of you are saints. When I see Zim, I think he's a saint. No, it's hard on me. It's hard on me. Uh, to take it by faith. So, we're all saints. We're all priests unto God. So, I don't need to go through a middleman priest. I can approach God for myself, and I go through my high priest, Christ. Okay? All right. But what is he saying? Is this a power invested in the church so that we can forgive sins? Um... Don't think so. Well, how do you take it? How do you understand it? Well, I would primarily understand it. The message that's been entrusted to us has the power to bring forgiveness or to leave a man condemned. I'm entrusting to my people a power that go, I'm sending you on mission, and go, and you'll find as they preach this in the book of Acts, he would say, think, let me give you some verses in Acts, what they said. Um, I want to 
give you a, the quote. I get there, Acts 10, 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him, Christ, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay? Acts 10, 43. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. Men like Arthur Pink and different ones say, the power here is in the proclaimed word. We've been given a message that as you go and you preach the gospel to the world, in that message is the power to see for sins forgiven. And it's interesting, their sins will be forgiven. And in the Greek, as they have already been forgiven, it's a strong verb there, then they will be retained as they've already been retained. And he's saying, you preach the gospel and those whom God is going to save and those who will believe the gospel, they will see their sins forgiven and those who reject the gospel will see their sins retained. It is the power of the church on mission, proclaiming the gospel. There's some of you here today Let's say if you're not a believer, and I come here today, I say, you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ wants to forgive you of all your sins. And he's done this by paying for them at the cross. And he comes now and he offers you himself. That if you will receive him, he will forgive you. He will give you the gift of eternal life. Why not receive him now? And if you do, your sins will be washed away. And you say, what if I don't want to? They will be retained. They remain on you. You will remain in your sins. And you will be lost. Now, think of this church. Has God entrusted this kind of message to us? I think what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2. He said, when we preach the gospel, to some men we smell like death. And to others we smell like life. The same aroma, and some guys say, wow, that stinks. It sounds like, it smells like rotting flesh. Something died. No, I just told you about a crucified Christ that's alive, but it stinks to you. It stinks because you reject it. You won't buy it. You won't have it. And what will God do? I'll let your sins be retained. They shall not be forgiven. Others, when you heard it, I need peace. I need forgiveness. I need someone to make it right between God and I. And you show up and say, let me tell you the greatest news in all the world. God has made peace for you through his son. All he's asking you to do is receive it. And at that moment, he'll forgive you of your sins. And he'll make you his child. Now we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that? If we don't believe it, it's no wonder we don't share it. You can't share what you're in doubt about. I'm telling you, what God entrusted is true. I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm giving you a message that is life and death. I've offered you my peace. Oh, my. And I've sent you on mission. Are you on target? Or are you dabbling around with all this secondary stuff? What has God created you to do in Christ? And are you doing it? How many years you've wasted just 
wandering in the wilderness, going in circles, not doing anything that matters. Hobbies, discouragements, doubts, just, just out here doing stuff, nothing for which God primarily assigned you. Four great things he gives in this upper room. I promise you a great peace. I promise you a great commission. I promise you great enablement through the Spirit. And I grant to you the greatest message ever given. A message that has the power to bring forgiveness or to confirm someone's eternal ruin. It's wrapped up in the gospel. Not in a man or clergyman's ability to say, forgiven, not forgiven. For Mark says, who can forgive sins but God alone? I don't believe he's giving the church the power to forgive you. He's giving the gospel message the power. And as we proclaim it, you'll be saved or you'll be condemned based on what you do with the message. That is your eternal destiny. What have I done with the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ. There's great good news. May you stay on mission. May you not be wasting your life. With a thousand. You know what they did? They were in the midst of losing their mission. By chapter 21, guess what they do? They go back fishing. They go back fishing. What are you doing fishing, Peter? I've called you to be a preacher. I've called you to get ready for the day of Pentecost. When I don't know what else to do, I can go back to my shadow mission. I can fish anytime I need a little diversion. I can always run to secondary issues. And some of you may be off target. Maybe you're not going like the sun went. That's our goal. That's the goal. You know, when I was about 42, uh, I uh, became flat in this church. I just, I ran out of goals. I, uh, we were at a theater. I, I was against the wall. I was exhausted. I was exasperated. And uh, uh, so I met with different ones to give me counsel. And I used to always, as a boy, preach or pray, keep me in motives, morals, and money. When I turned 40, 41, I began to pray, keep me on mission. Because so many preachers are bored with ministry by the time they're 40. And they start dabbling. They start dabbling. There's few men, one out of every 20 preachers, one out of 20 in their life being in the ministry. The other 19 got tired of it and found something else to do. One out of 20 continue doing ministry for all their life. It's too hard, too tough, too boring, too whatever. Something is too much and they lose mission. And so their last years, they're selling cars. Their last years, I know of a great preacher wound up selling grave plots. Because he got bored and discouraged with ministry. Will you be on mission by the time we bury you? Will you still be doing what God called you to do in the first place? That's a question that only you and God can answer. Taken from John chapters 20 and 21, our series is called Life Forever in Christ. It's the epilogue based out of John 20 and 21. The entire series available for a donation of $10 or more when you contact us here at Truth For Today. 
And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. If you would like to contact us to obtain a copy of today's program, or if you would like to donate $10 or more for the entire series, you can do so by calling 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, that's here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Again, that's 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code 94547. If you'd like to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, our service times are at 9 and 11. Directions and more information are available on our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. Or simply call 855-833-9864. And please, remember that this is a listener-supported ministry. Through your donations and your generous support financially and prayerfully, we're able to continue this ministry here on KFAX. We look forward to partnering with you as we continue the ministry of God's Word and the Gospel of Christ here in the Bay Area. If you'd like to know more about how you can participate, help, and be a part of the ministry, feel free to call us at 855-833-9864 or simply stop by our website, valleybible.org, and drop us an email. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Hercules.